Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please take up your Bibles. Uh, they can be found either just in front of you or on the windowsills as well. We're continuing uh, our series in Hebrews tonight. Uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29, which can be found on page 1009 in the Pew Bibles and 1197 in the large print Bibles. Let's listen to God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Our God, you are our God. And we thank you for your words to us that we've read. And we pray now as we ponder them further, please speak to our hearts. Spirit of peace, be at work and show us things unseen tonight. That we may glory in you. Amen. Would you please turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 12? As we we walk through this life God has given us, uh, as we live out our ordinary days, lives of uh, going to the office, tidying our homes, 
uh, time with friends, time alone, mountaintop experiences and, and washing up. And in, in the midst of, of it all, the, the mundane uh, and repetition, perhaps the, the question has come to mind, do our lives really matter in all of this? It's a deep and, and probing question, isn't it? And it might have unsettled some of us at some point. And I think it does this because what we mean when we ask that question, it's often a question of what we've done. Will the things that I've actually done last? Are my small, kind of mediocre efforts actually going to create some sort of legacy? And we we second-guess ourselves. Perhaps if I do that type of thing, uh, I'll matter. Or maybe if I do that type of thing. And it's, it's exhausting and and eventually, perhaps, we can feel end up shattered on the floor. Because it can seem pointless. E- even if we do feel like we've done something, we know it's not going to last. But what God wants to show us this evening is that if that's what we've been thinking, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. We're looking at what's small and close my actions done, my minutes of time spent. Instead, he wants us to see what's bigger, what's wider. He's got a view for us that takes us off what we've done and onto something more fundamental. And it's where our ultimate home is. That's what makes our lives matter. Is your address, he asks us, in my kingdom or in your own? That's what we need to know if we're going to live lives of purpose and security because it's only when connected to the living God we're going to see that anything truly lasts and matters so our home needs to be with him. And tonight he wants to assure you that if you're a Christian, if you're with Jesus, holding fast to him, then your home already is in him. You are fundamentally connected to the God of heaven and earth. And if that's true, then, then we will see our lives really do matter. A truth to deeply transform us tonight. Now, to get there, let's remind ourselves of where we are in Hebrews. You know, after spending many chapters showing us the glorious work of Christ to bring us forgiveness, the writer's been encouraging us over the last uh, little bit to, to keep going in faith in Christ. He's shown us God's wonderful way of bringing his people through this life as they they look to him, even through suffering as his children that we thought about last week. And now once again, he he turns our eyes away from those sufferings and successes around us and lifts our eyes to our ultimate home. Now I use this word ultimate um, here to, to, to try and help us get something profound about what's going on. Because I'm using the word ultimate in two different ways. Firstly, we use it as in final, kind of last, like a final destination, like our, our life is a journey and we're on our way home. Because this home we're going to look at in a moment has a final kind of feel to it. It's where we'll be with, when Christ returns, when sin and death are got rid of, uh, what will last. It's our, our ultimate home. But it's also ultimate in the sense that it's much grander than just the end spot. It's our life purpose. It's our deeper truth. It's ultimate in that kind of way. It's our our home in the sense of it's where we're centered, where our lives are oriented. Our ultimate home, it's the future, and yet somehow we've come to it. It reaches into our present. 
And, and to show us that our ultimate home that we're thinking about is deeply connected to God himself, the writer now takes us to two mountains, two mountains of scripture. And by contrasting them, he's gonna, he wants to show us the deep and profound nature of our true home. Because he wants to show us our, our ultimate home is not fearfully distant from God, but joyfully close to him. So let's think about that first one. Firstly, our ultimate home is not fearfully distant from God. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearer beg, hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So here the writer, he's getting us to look at Mount Sinai, the mountain the Israelites came to when God rescued them from Egypt, where they met with him, and he gave them the law. And as we look at this mountain, what we see here is a picture it's of separation from God. It's a mountain we fear to touch, a place where we don't want to come too close to. Now, although God was bringing his people towards himself as he saved them from Egypt and called them his treasured possession, this, this mountain was teaching them and us something about the major gulf between people and gods. It's all about God as unapproachable in his holiness with us in our sin. It's distance. That's pretty fearful language, isn't it? The writer uh, picks up on a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of a trumpet. Imagine it, it's extraordinary power. It's, it's like when you're in a ferocious storm, isn't it, of wind and rain, thunder and lightning, and it's, it's terrifying. We realize how small we re- and weak we are. And actually, we want to be as far away from it as possible, don't we? We want to run and hide. And the writer goes on, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They're they're terrified of what might happen. God is so holy and we are so sinful. Even the voice of God might destroy us. And they knew destruction was on the cards, verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. If even a dumb, moralless beast couldn't touch the mountain, then what of us in our sin? All the distance between God and the people. They kept well back from that mountain. You know, like when there's a raging fire nearby. You don't go close. You can't go close. And in our more honest moments, we know this distance is due to us, don't we? As we look at what spills out of our hearts like our lies, our our self-justification, our our dehumanizing lust, our sharp words or crude joking. Oh, we we see the fruit of our hearts, the the bitter poisoned water from the well of our soul. And in our shame, we want to be far away. We know God is unapproachable, dangerous even in his holiness and us in our sin. We want to run and hide. And this is the mountain that shows it. It's a mountain we fear to touch, and rightly so. And God is is always holy, not just back then. He doesn't change. Did you notice that? Verse 23, God is described as the judge of all. Then in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. He is always the same God of holiness. 
always a God of purity, a God who must judge sin, must consume it in wrath due to his holy justice. He's, he's right now, right this moment, a consuming fire. And this mountain showed it so clearly. It's a mountain they feared to touch, to even step foot on because they knew they'd die. It shows us in our sin, separated from God, cut off, standing way back at a distance, fearfully distant. In our sin, fear and trembling, it is the only right response, isn't it? As the writer said in in Hebrews 10, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if this is the only mountain, there is no hope. For those without a savior, this is the only mountain there is. One where all we can do is stand at a distance, separated from God and his, his holiness, only fearful of his coming judgment. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? If you're not a Christian here tonight, if God is real and God is holy, which he's shown himself to be, then then you need to think, are you ready to meet this God? Do you think you can stand before him when he comes to judge? Or do you find yourself fearfully distant from him, the all-consuming fire? But those here who are Christians, we mustn't forget the first few words. Verse 18, for you have not come. You have not come to this mountain. Our ultimate home is not the mountain we fear to touch. It's not one where we're fearfully distant from God. Yes, God is still the God of holiness, but we don't say uh, this mountain only separated from him. This is not our address. This is not our true and ultimate reality. It's as if we're, we're to see the mountain. He wants to show it to us. We're meant to have a glimpse of what could be true, but then we're to leave it. We're to walk on, walk on to see a different mountain. But I do wonder if a problem for some of us is that even though we might know Christ, trust him deep down, we actually only let this mountain fill our view. We never walk on. We never leave it. We just stand here at a distance. And it ends up dominating your life with God. How or if you even speak to him, what you think he might say to you. For you, God is only ever really a a judge, awesome in his holiness. He's only ever disapproving and angry at your sin. Perhaps you you only picture him more like a ferocious headmaster who who, who only ever tells people off than a, a loving father. A father who, yes, corrects and disciplines, but in a close and intimate love and kindness. And so you fear to come close. Deep down, you actually want God to stay distant. Well, if that's you, may you hear those words again. You have not come to what may be touched. Our, our ultimate home is not fearfully distant from God's. So please come with me to hear a better word, a a better word for us because God being so holy and wonderful, he's not like us. In his holiness, he delights to lavish love and grace upon grace onto his people. There is another mountain because instead our ultimate home is joyfully close to God's. It's joyfully close to God. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What a glorious picture this is, isn't it? It's a totally different kind of mountain. Throughout this letter, the writer has been pointing us to these heavenly realities, to the heavenly tabernacle, the better country, the city to come is the language he's used. And here, in language we find throughout the Old Testament, he takes us to Mount Zion. Now, originally, this was the hill that the temple was built on in the earthly city of Jerusalem. But in the Psalms and the prophets, it, it began to take on a significance way beyond itself. It becomes the ultimate place of God's presence, the home of God's people, a, a place where the king, uh, uh, of the king of, of safety and security, the place where the nations will come streaming into. And that's what the writer's speaking of here. It's the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly mountain, a place beyond what we know and can see now. It's greater, it's more wonderful, and it's a place of joy. A place where the angels are in festal gathering that's joyful, they're happily jubilant. The angels are celebrating, they're having a party. And not just them, it's with all of God's people, verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And then to, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, all of God's people together. The most beautiful gathering of people ever known. It's better than the, the best birthday party you've ever been to. Or the best wedding feast where all your friends are there and there's great chat is flowing around delicious food with, with a quality live band playing in the background. It's better. And where are they? They have come to God himself. They're with him. Around him. Before him close to him, joyfully close to him. This is the opposite of the other mountain, isn't it? The God of all life, the one we love, the one our hearts linger on, the Father of grace, our creator and king, it's gathering with him. It's a heavenly mountain filled with joy and glory in worship of God himself. And there's a wonderful sense of completeness here. There's a final glory to it all. It's the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It's, it's each and every person that God has chosen to be there. Each and every person matters. And they're all there together. It, it's his church in their final and ultimate resting place. The new world before God himself. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? And how can this be? How can this be since God is always the God of holiness and the all-consuming fire? Well, there's no surprises given the rest of the book. Verse 24, and to Jesus. Of course it's to Jesus. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He doesn't need to say any more here, does he? He's just spent 10 chapters doing it. It's all been said. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the God-man who took on flesh like his brothers and sisters we saw back in chapter 2, became a priest in the order of Melchizedek in chapter 7, who offered himself as the, the perfect sacrifice, spilt his blood to take our punishment, to wash away our sin, who rose and is ascended to the heavenly temple to intercede for his people. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Forgiveness is real. Christ 
has made the way to the heavenly places open. It's wonderful, isn't it? We've not forced open the way through paying for the sin ourselves. We've not twisted God's arm. We haven't paid off our debt through through trying to do good works or, or hard work. We haven't suffered again and again to kind of take the punishment ourselves. And God hasn't brushed it under the carpet and said it doesn't matter. No, it's all done in Jesus Christ. It's all through him, all through his blood. That's the gospel, isn't it? Doesn't it humble us in our pride because it's all done by him, but it also gives hope in our despair because this is how God's people can be with God himself. How we can come joyfully close. We come to Jesus. This is our ultimate home. This is our final resting place. This is the goal of our lives and our labors to be with all of God's people, with the angels of heaven around the throne of God in worship and praise in him. Because death is not our end. As the the body of a Christian is put six feet down into the ground, it's not her final destination. We don't just pass away. We don't just move to a room nearby. No, there's something real and concrete to come. It's the place of God himself. It's the ultimate, uh, it's the heavenly mountain, our ultimate home. What a glorious hope we have. But verse 22 has more for us. But you have come to Mount Zion. You have come. This is the real shock here, isn't it? Yes, it's our final goal, but somehow we've already come to it. In Christ, at our conversion, as the Holy Spirit brought life into our hearts, our ultimate home became the heavenly mountain. This is now our address. This is now my address. This is now my permanent place. It's our our deepest and truest present reality. Our hearts and lives are inseparably connected to this mountain. You might call yourself, I don't know, a Scot or Irish or a Nigerian, but, but most fundamentally, you are a Christian. You are of heaven, Perhaps you can remember your conversion. Perhaps like me, you can't, but we know there's a fundamental change in us, don't we? Yes, I'm I'm still well, but I'm joyfully close to God. I'm with him. I'm with all his people. It's a complete change of identity. And so my life, it isn't some isolated piece of existence that just comes about then disappears, 80 years and then emptiness. No, it's deeply connected to something bigger. We have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living gods. And this is always true. The closest analogy I can think of is like living in another country and yet still being of your homeland. Now, many of you here tonight have come from elsewhere to live and study in Aberdeen. and, And even though you're living here, You're connected to your home country. There are people there you know and love. You you long to go back. You still live according to your home culture. And there's a restlessness as you know this isn't your final home. Even though you're here, we could say due to those connections, you've, you've somehow come to your homeland. It's here in your present So it's like that with with God, but with more so. 
even though we live here, who we are is bound up with him in our ultimate home. And it's deeper, more real, because through the Spirit of God, we are actually connected spiritually to, to our ultimate home. It's not just by memory. It's always true of us. God is no longer distant, but joyfully close. In Christ, we really are his children, in his household, in his home. Our home, in a sense, is a person. It's being close to the triune God himself. That is who we are. That is what matters, where our home is. And this, this overflows into our lives because it, it means our lives do matter. And that's our whole life, every bit of it. Now, sometimes I, I think we can be tempted to think only telling people about Jesus really matters because that's the only thing that saves people to be with God. Now, telling people about Jesus is so important. Of course it is. We want many uh, to be with us. But to think that's the only thing that matters is, is missing what's happened to us. Because right now, we have come to Mount Zion. Right now, in all the ordinary day-to-day -day living of family and friends, of serving and celebrating, fun and tiredness, all our life is bound up with God and the future. Everything we do. All we are is bound up with this holy mountain. And that's why near the end of the passage, verse 20, it says, verse 28, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then chapter 13 goes on to uh, look at what that looks like. And it's hospitality. It's visiting those who are ill-treated. It's what we do sexually. It's how we use our money. It's, it's all of our life. So even, even when you're alone at home, you're gathered with the saints of heaven. Even when your life is hard, you're connected to the angels in festal gathering. And each week together, we experience this truth a little more clearly. There's something wonderfully right and fitting as we come together as God's people on the Lord's Day. As we come on a Sunday in Christ's name, trusting in his death that has washed us clean, as we come towards God together, hearing him speak to us and responding in prayer and song together, it's it's all a lot like what our ultimate home is like. We're all the more living out what is true of us all the time. That This is a microcosm of our ultimate home. It's the nucleus of our heavenly reality. We're not just here as a club, are we? We're here to join in with the reality of our ultimate home, to be joyfully close to God together, to come in one heart and mind to Mount Zion and the city of the living God. Our ultimate home is joyfully close to God's. We really are truly and deeply connected to the God of the heavens, the God of all life and love, the God who made us and sent his son for us. We've come to him. Now, because this is so profound, the writer then comes with a warning and an encouragement for us. So firstly, the warning. If our home should be close to God, then we mustn't build in the demolition zone. If our home should be close to God, then we mustn't build in the demolition zone. Let me explain. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Here's the warning. Do not reject the, this God of grace. 
God is speaking even from heaven itself. And if we reject him, there's no escape. No escape from his wrath. Why? Verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. That's looking back at the first mountain. But now he is promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now, why is there no escape? Well, because God in his power and judgment is going to shake all of creation. The earth, yes, but also the heavens. He will come and judge in such a way that whatever is not built in him will not last It's like he's got the whole earth in a giant sieve and he he shakes it and shakes it to get rid of the dross, to get rid of anything that isn't sturdy and solid. He will remove everything that's separate from him, everything still held by sin and death, everything that should be consumed by his fire. And so if we decide to reject God and build our lives away from him, then we're building in a demolition zone. Perhaps you've seen one of those old warehouses, you know, that's dilapidated, has huge walls, barbed wire fences at the top, and massive signs, do not enter, demolition in progress. And and to make our home away from God is to, to climb across that barbed wire fence, to ignore the sign, and to start grabbing stones and trying to make something will last. All the while, huge diggers with wrecking balls rumble into the area. All the while, the, the dynamite is being laid underneath. And so hear what God has to say. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. There will be no escape. Perhaps at the moment you'd call yourself a Christian, but you can see more and more your, your heart is actually focused on a life distant from God's. You live to please number one, and that's yourself. Perhaps your, your work week, it's just focused on making money for the weekend drinking. You, you treat people as objects, Uh, to bring you pleasure, to do what you want. And if they don't, you just get rid of them and find someone else. You're starting to build a life separate from God's. You're trying to build a a me-shaped home in a demolition zone. But God will come. God will shake the heavens and the earth. So don't do it. Don't ignore the warning sign. We mustn't build a life distant from God in the demolition zone. But alongside that, may we hear the encouragement to finish. Encouragement just to stay with what's forever secure. Verse 28, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Living lives connected to God himself, that means we're part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. It's forever secure. Your life is bound up with God himself, bound up with his forever kingdom. So rather than building in a demolition zone, let's stay with him. If our ultimate home is joyfully close to God, let's stay there. Let's make every effort to keep walking with Jesus, every step. Keep trusting him as our savior and king. And it comes from being grateful. Let us be grateful, he says. And so it comes from seeing the extraordinary grace of God over us. May we wonder at his love, bringing us from a fearful distance from a mountain of dread to his heavenly mountain, to him in love through the death and life of his eternal son. And it's as we give thanks to him from our hearts, we'll keep living out what's true. 
We'll keep drawing near to him as we walk each day towards our ultimate home, especially as we do so together each week, encouraging one another as we see the final day approaching, joyfully close to God himself. What a wonder and a privilege we have. Amen.